I'm Vince Roca. Did he say Venti Mocha? And I'm Michael Hutchinson. Still funny? It still is. I'm still smiling. It's still just fantastic. <laughs> it is. I guess we should get business out of the way. I love me some pop chips. Working in TV has taught me a lot about snack food. Pop chips. <laughs> pop chips, motherfucker. Pop, pop chips. chips. Maybe if we just if I just will it enough, it will happen. They're magically going to call. I, I know that I, their CEO listens to us, I'm sure. It, it just takes one person to listen. And, oh, my uh, God. Pop chips. Yeah, pop chips. We need chips. to sponsor them. It is uh, 357, 81 degrees. <laughs> All right. It's time and temperature. How's things? Everything's going pretty good. How about yourself? Doing, I'm, everything is great. Any any new stories from last, some, since last week? Since last week? Oh, let's just see what's been going on. Oh, I'm going on a cruise next weekend for a bachelor party. Uh, actually, this episode will release on Monday. You'll be back from your cruise. How no, was the cruise? I won't have any. It was awesome. <laughs> I don't remember anything. Blacked out the whole time. What was the cruise? Down in Mexico, some donkey show. I don't know. It was, it was awesome. This is our 54th episode what so we've had we have like 54 plus hours of material of just us that's of awesome. just us talking well tom's in there a little bit there's over 50 hours of material of us talking isn't that weird that is like 50 fucking hours out there in the universe anyway you're going on a cruise i am going to be going on a cruise it's a bachelor party it should be interesting i've never been on a cruise before don't know what to expect oh you've never been on a boat before i'm on a boat motherfucker nope never been on a boat <laughs> um you're taking the Carnival Cruise down to San Diego, down to Ensenada, right? Ensenada, yeah. Leave. How many guys? Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, I'm not sure. I want to say maybe about 15. Uh, that's quite a bit. And uh, well, because it's cheap, so and every, well, most of them coming out of San Diego. So you're rooming with somebody, I'm assuming. I am, and I don't. I, I'm not really sure who they. Kinda, it, they just kind of put us in the, each other in the room as they booked up. As how many people said they were going, they just kind of filled rooms because they also have a suite. So most of us, most of the time, I imagine you're going to be spending time in the suite or however that works. Uh, does the uh, is the cruise coming out of San Diego or out of Long Beach? It goes out of Long Beach. Yeah. Okay. So then they're having to drive up. Yeah. So it leaves at like five thirty at night, and then comes back Monday morning at eight. Um. In the morning. Yeah. So I guess we spend Saturday in Ensenada. Like Wait a minute. Five thirty Friday night. Yeah. And then back. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing Deanna and I did. Yeah. So that's it. So we're going to be doing that. At, now, um, when you get to Ensenada, you've never done this, but when you get to Ensenada, uh, they, when you get back on the boat, they search you. So you can't get back on the boat with like switchblades or guns or explosives or, damn it, really? or more importantly, booze. I yeah. think that's really what they're searching for. Well, and a booze, my, my, uh, the groom sent us all care packages of these flasks that look exactly like, um, uh, like the tube sunscreen. Oh, so yeah, so I've heard of it. Cute. Yeah, so we're gonna be taking those on uh, mouthwash. It's going to be vodka or whatever. So we'll have a full bar when we get there. Well, you can get off the boat in Ensenada. They don't check you. You can get off with anything, but whatever you get off, like if you were to get off with, say, a bottle that you brought on of Jameson or something, you're not getting back on with it unless you hide it yeah. somehow. But they they put you through metal detectors and all sorts of stuff. That's kind of weird. Um, you can take a a uh, little bus that takes you like into the center of town. That's a waste of money. That's it's. If I, I remember correctly, you could just walk like four blocks. I think you can because I when I was going to San Diego State, me and my buddy used to ride our motorcycles down there for lunch, mm. which okay. was a beautiful ride down the coast. It's like an hour and a half, two hours from San Diego State. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Wouldn't do that now, mm. um, but back in the day. Now here's the important 
thing for you to know. I don't know if you want to share it with your buddies. Uh, across the street, McDonald's is a shithole, but across the street from McDonald's is Starbucks. And you should go see the Starbucks because it's amazing. Even the sidewalk in front of Starbucks is perfect. Like everything is fucked up. It's all typical Mexico. Then all of a sudden it is very much Starbucks. It is very corporate Starbucks. You could eat off the floor in that Starbucks. And this is why you, whether or not you share it with them, if you need to shit, you want to go to Starbucks. <laughs> that's, that's the place. That but, restroom is immaculate. But the excursion isn't that long, right? I mean, if you, how long, I don't even know how long we port for. Oh, you're there all day. You, you, you. So I see. I'm confused. So we leave Friday night. We get there. We get to Encinitas on Saturday. What do we do all day Sunday? Does it take that long for us to get back? Is there yeah. some major current from? No, no, no. no. It, th- well, they travel slow all day Sunday. Uh, so this way you can spend all day Sunday in their casino. Oh, that makes sense. Uh huh. That's exactly what it is. So you Saturday you spend there, uh, and then Sunday you spend in the casino and drinking on the boat and all of that other stuff. So. Uh, well, I'm trying to do this without getting in trouble at work, which normally wouldn't be a big deal because I I cover myself and I have all these hours that I'm allowed to use. But on my campus now, there's five teachers. So I'm taking... And your principal could possibly hear this? She could, yes. But if the, that's going to be after the fact. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's still a, a but, record. But not, well, I'm going to tell her that I'm going anyway, but I'm going to be the following weekend, I'm going to the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm which I'm taking that Friday and that Monday off. Mm -hmm. I was going to take this Friday and this Monday off also, which means I'm taking Friday, Monday, Friday, Monday, Mm -hmm. like back to back, which would be a lot because that leaves 20%. It just means you're working three days. Yeah, but she's always worried because on the campus we're at, it's, you know, when one teacher's gone, that's 20% of the workforce of the the teachers is gone, which I get. So I'm going to see if I can work it. I, I was told that I have to be there at four by four to load on. So I'm going to work until two, lose my last hour so to make my principal happy. Rush down there, uh-huh. um, get on hopefully before four. And I don't know if you've done it before. Is it worth the extra $49 for the advanced pass or whatever it is to bypass all the lines, your VIP stuff? Have you done that? We did not. We went for Deanna's birthday, which was also Super Bowl weekend. The cruise was packed, and we did not pay any additional fee, and I don't remember any problem getting on. I'm just taking. I'm. I'm just afraid. I want to make sure that I get there on, on there. I'm not going to have any luggage. I'll have my backpack on. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then on the way on back on Monday, if we port at eight, I'm hoping to get out of there around nine, if possible, mm-hmm. so that I can be back to work by ten thirty, so I don't miss. So I only miss one hour of work. If you're not. If all you have is your backpack and you can walk out with it on your back, that shouldn't be a problem. So I don't have to wait for my color code or however it is it works? That's the pain in the ass. And even when we went on our Norwegian cruise, it took hours to get fucking off the boat. Uh, Because, yeah, you have your certain color and all that other shit for getting off. And I do remember that being a pain in the ass. Well, here's the other. Well, here's where you're fucked coming back. You have to go through customs. Which is fine, but if I only have my backpack, I don't have to worry about my luggage or anything like no, that. No, but you still have to wait in line for everybody else. And if so, you, I may want to spend the extra fifty dollars for the advance. To, if that gets you off the boat quicker, then yeah, uh, because uh, look, the people who have paid the additional or who are whatever the first color that gets off, they don't give a fuck that all you have is a backpack. They want to try and get through customs as quick as possible too. So. Yeah, if there's something that gets you through customs expressway, then yeah. Because right, I know I'm gonna. I, I just don't. 
I'm going to the Kentucky Derby, and I, I want to make sure that I, I have to miss those days because I'll be out of the state. Right. Um, I, are you taking the motorcycle down? Is that what you're going to uh, do? That's probably, it's probably be my best bet. That way I can ride back make sure I don't hit any traffic. Um, so then you got to just park the motorcycle in Long Beach. Um, well, that's what I'm going to do with my car anyway. The only problem with that is do I still have to pay for the motorcycle for the same amount? Is it still going to be the $15 a day? Or do motorcycles get discounts? Why would they get a discount? Because they don't use the spaces. We don't use the same amount of space. You know, We can fit three in one space. If I have to pay the $15, I'm taking up a full space. I don't. I think you should. Why well, shouldn't you? Because people get pissed. Like People go, I get it all the time. Like I'll, I'll be parked somewhere and someone's like, that could have been a space for a car. Yeah, But it's my vehicle. Yeah. Well. And, and I can park here. My response is, is, you know, your life form could have been a space for somebody that matters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, Sorry. Uh, a lot of things are going to happen. So, yeah, I'm doing this cruise, and it's going to be it's going to be a good time. I am looking forward to it. But Do I, I know any of the guys? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, your other family. It, well, it's all my fraternity brothers. Actually, oh, to be that's honest, right. Yeah, and I don't know a lot of the ones who are going to be there. I know Crazy Scott is, is the groom. And okay. I know a couple of the other guys, but the majority of them, I honestly don't How think old I know. is Crazy Scott? Forty, yeah. Is this his first marriage or his seventh? Wow. All right, we'll go for him. Is it? Is it really? Hope it works out. (laughs) That's right. Should I tell him some stories? Let's get drunk and have it. Let's let's talk. Hasn't worked out for most people. I mean, you know, see what your future has in for it. It, It'll. It's going to be a good time. (laughs) I have a feeling. I I I predict there will be a point at some time in the future where I will where I will look at you again and go. You can bail out now. <laughs> right? <laughs> if I need that insurance, it probably will happen again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what else? Uh, well, that's just it right now. I have Because I, I, I haven't done the cruise. So once I come back from that, and then Kentucky Derby <clears throat> should probably be interesting too because I'm really curious how that's going to play out. I did order my vintage plaid golf pants so that I can look the part of the Kentucky Derby. Oh, Lord. Uh, where are the tickets? Where the, are you infield? Are you have oh, boxes? We're in the are you okay? Well, so Shannon bought the tickets for us to be in the infield. Are we, wait a minute. So we're back at triple crown time already. Yeah. Holy shit. First weekend of May. Seems like it was just a year ago. Right. All right. Time flies. Uh, so we're actually going to be in the infield, which apparently the infield is, can be like Mardi Gras ish. Party ish. Yeah. But there's like the third turn. I think they say is all the party, but the first turns like the family with the picnics. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Preakness is, which is one of the three of the triple crown. Yeah, Preakness is the party in the in the center. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure all of them are party in the center. Cause there's so much. No, room. but I mean, Pre- Preakness is like Mardi Gras. Like Preakness is a lot of boobs and craziness like that, and I think that is spilled over into the other events. Um, but Preakness. Well, is well I'm going to find out, and I'll let you know. Well, cool. So you'll see some boobies. So I have an article here um, that I think. Uh, all of our listeners can relate to, and there's some interesting stuff here for you and people who are in your life. Uh, 14 Habits of Highly Miserable People by Chloe Kardashian Madonnas, Madonnas, uh, Chloe Madonnas. It's uh, it's over at alternet.org. Uh, that is HTTP colon slash. Uh, no, um, I'm going to, I just took ap- excerpts of it, but I'm going to end up reading a lot. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of neat. Well, then I'll fix my mic. It feels like it keeps going limp, but I just don't know. Do, you, am I stroking it wrong? Is that the problem? You probably need to tighten the back end more. I, I'll try that again. Uh, 
So most of us claim we want to be happy to have meaningful lives, enjoy ourselves, experience fulfillment, and share love and friendship. Strangely enough, some people act as if they just want to be miserable. You know anybody who wants to be miserable? Hmm, who wants to be miserable? I do know people who just fucking want to be miserable. I think I actually I think I do. I won't mention any names, <laughs> but I think there are a couple of people out there who I'm like, and they because they could do things to better themselves, but they don't. And they succeed remarkably well at inviting misery into their lives, even though they get little apparent benefit from it. Since being miserable doesn't help them find lovers and friends, get better jobs, make more money, or go on more interesting vacations. Why do they do this? that hypothetical that is rhetorical after pursuing the output of the uh, uh, after of some of the finest brains in the therapy profession i've come up come to the conclusion that misery is an art form and the satisfaction people seem to find in it reflects the creative effort required to cultivate it this is an interesting thing the creative effort required to cultivate misery the article supports this, but that kind of really st- stood out to me. People who are miserable, they invest a lot of time being creative and creatively trying to be miserable. That's where the that. creative you know, you outlet goes. Of, yeah, you have to put a lot of energy into mm-hmm. it. Um, in other words, when your living conditions are stable, peaceful, and uh, prosperous, no civil wars raging in your streets, no mass hunger, no epi- epidemic disease, no vexation from poverty – uh, making yourself miserable is a craft all its own, requiring imagination, vision, and ingenuity. It can even give life a distinctive meaning. Wasn't that like how Jerry Springer made all his money? Making people miserable? No, but feeding on that or finding or, misery yeah. and then, yeah, and then exploiting, exploiting that misery. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see. So if you aspire to make yourself miserable, what are the best, most proven techniques for doing this? Let's exclude some obvious ways like doing drugs, committing crimes, gambling, and beating up your spouse or neighbor. Subtler, subtler, subtle, subtler, subtler ways. Yeah, it's subtle. More subtle ways. Yeah, it's subtler, subtler strategies. But there's a being subtler that screwed me up. Subtler strategies, ones that won't lead anyone to suspect that you're acting deliberately, can be highly effective. But you need to pretend that you want to be happy like everyone else. And that's a key. Miserable people pretend they want to be happy. All the miserable people I know are always just like, uh, but, you know, all I want is this. All I... All I want is a job that pays me this, or all I want is, you know, for my kid to do this, or all I want is for someone to love me. Yet, meanwhile, everything you fucking do just makes you miserable. Yep, I, I, I agree. Yeah, um, so there are people I know exactly, that are exactly like Yeah, <laughs> uh, a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine had asked me, someone had honked at, uh, at us, and she said, uh, there was something about honking, I don't know. And I, my response was, I probably honked like, maybe five times in the last 10 years. And she says, well, what do you do when someone cuts you off? And I was like, nothing. Well, don't you honk at them? I'm like, they already know they cut me off. What's honking I'm going to do? I don't, it's done. The, the it's job true. is done. Like, what's it? It's time to move on. Like, what is, I don't need to like wallow in that miserable. And this particular person isn't nowhere near a miserable person, but that is kind of the like must retaliate. I must, must do something. I do that on my motorcycle. I will like honk or, Really? I would have pegged you as being so not just like, because I, 
You're on a motorcycle and someone's cutting you off and stuff like that. Yeah, but you're asking you're asking to die when as soon as you get on that motorcycle. Uh, subtler strategies, ones that won't lead anyone to suspect that you're deliberately or that you're acting deliberately can be highly effective, but you need to pretend that you want to be happy like everybody else, or people won't take your misery seriously. The real art is to behave in ways that bring on misery without allowing you to claim that you're an, or that allow you to claim that you're an innocent victim, ideally of the very people from whom you're forcibly extracting compassion and pity. Well, isn't everyone's a victim, right? Like no one's going to be like, I'm miserable and it's my fault. My life sucks. Exactly. Nobody takes responsibility oh, for it. They're not. always it's, like, it's for someone else. That's right. It's, you know, I, I, I could have done this, but someone stopped me from doing it. Right. But no. <laughs> but then nobody feels pity for you because when you're miserable, people feel sorry for you. That's right. So I get, I get the attention that I want. Yep. Not only that, they often feel obscurely guilty. That's interesting. Like, I don't, I, I don't I'm think I'm guilty I do. that I'm miserable. Yeah. No, well, people feel guilty. Oh. But I don't feel like I try to extract pity or feelings from other people. I don't feel like I'm a miserable person at all. But the miserable people that I do know are trying to get pity from me. And then I feel guilty for having an awesome life. Like, when people ask me how I'm doing, my response is always like, I'm fucking awesome. Like, my life is awesome. And I think, I do really feel that my life fucking rules. I, I think mine does also. And I do have problems. Like, you know, we all have issues. Absolutely. But I, and I tell my kids in the classroom all the time, like, you guys won the lottery growing up in America. Mm. You have no idea. You have hit the lottery growing up in America. And I, I, I think that I have. Can I complain about things? I can. And I probably do once in a while. Sure. But my life is. It is pretty epic. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the things that other people have to live with in other worlds, even if I was living in a fucking apartment in Van Nuys, I think I would still think my life was awesome. Right. I'm way better off than most. Right. Oh, I have a cell phone. I have running water. What? So I feel bad when I meet people who are living in an apartment in Van Nuys, and then I don't want to say, yeah, I own a house with a pool. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want anybody to know that. Now I feel guilty. And that's what they're looking for. These fucking miserable people. Instead of just being like, yeah, I live in Van Nuys. It's yeah, awesome. Me and the wife who live in a five-bedroom house. Um, this is only a three-bedroom. Sorry. <laughs> but you do have a theater. It does have a theater. <laughs> uh, so where the hell am I? In, in the and the parking lot. And a, yeah, six-car park. It's a big fucking <laughs> parking lot. Um, uh, as if your misery might somehow be their fault. Okay, this is good. Uh, power of making other people feel guilty. The people who love you. And yeah, see, I got completely derailed on this. When you're miserable, since you have no hopes and expect nothing good to happen, you can't be disappointed or disillusioned. Well, I'm, I, I totally agree with that. If I'm like, uh, it's like Eeyore. You're, you know, the life of ER. Oh, it's not going to go good. But right. And it's not going to go good, so I'm not disappointed. There's nothing right. Your expectations are super low. Uh, so if you're always negative about everything and down on everything, then everything can only go up from there. But then you'll just be negative about that one. It does go up anyway. And who so, wants to hang out with that person? No, but I don't. But people do. I don't, I, people do hang out with that person. Um, being miserable can give the impression that you're wise and that you're a wise and worldly person. This is what I found interesting too, because yeah, it is sort of true. I, is it? If like, is that statement right there? doesn't sound right. Well, if you feel, if you're like, this sucks, this fucking, this Starbucks, Starbucks sucks. Then everybody else in the group is just like, does he know something? I don't know. Does he like, 
maybe I'm afraid to say something. I don't want to say something because I don't want to be uncool. I'm going to be an idiot because I like Starbucks. And how many times does that happen in a group where like somebody says something like that and you're sitting there sort of checking yourself and going, God, I, I I really did like Pearl Harbor. It was a fun movie. I don't, (laughs) why do you all, Michael Bay? Oh my God. What were you expecting? Shit was just supposed to blow up. Like it's, I don't, but you keep all of this to yourself because you're just like I, I don't get it. We're okay. We're all supposed to hate Pearl Harbor. That's fine. We hate McDonald or we hate uh, Starbucks and McDonald's. Okay. We hate SeaWorld because of Blackfish because it's something I don't know. It, yeah, mm-hmm. fucking Blackfish. We go on for days about. But that's the same thing, right? It's like uh, you know, oh, I watch Blackfish and now oh, you know SeaWorld. SeaWorld's horrible because of what they do. Right, you jump on that bandwagon, and and now you seem to be a wiser, more no. Actually, the flavor of the moment. Uh, which I'm really surprised about is the Scientology doc unclear or going clear or whatever. I didn't see it. Yeah, it was. I haven't on, seen it. I'm not going to fucking watch. I don't care. It was only on HBO <laughs> for one day. Oh, is that it? Yeah, they aired it one night, and that was it. That's what they said. That it was just going to be aired for one night. Oh. Um, I, so many people I know have seen it. They're talking about it. They're talking about all this bad shit about Scientologists and everything under the sun. And they fucking this. The, is it a religion? Isn't it a religion? And I'm like, I'm never going to watch it because I just don't care. I, I, and I don't care if it's a religion or not. I they feel don't come s- knocking on my door. No, like that. nobody's bothering me. I mean, I walk Hollywood and they ask me if I want a free test. And I'm like, no, whatever. Uh, so they do, I guess, technically bother me. I'm feeling sorry. I do have a few friends who are Scientologists and I am kind of feeling sorry for them because, I mean, it's just getting beaten. Like it just it's it's like being a Catholic when the priests were at the prime of their diddling. Like it's bad for the Scientologists at the moment. Um and people are saying, oh, you have to watch the doc. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's not that important in my life. I, there are some things I'd like to watch only because I'm curious about how some of the stuff works. A lot of stuff I know about Scientology is you pay for the next step in. So it costs a lot of money. Well, you pay for classes. Yeah. And the thing that out of all my Scientology friends, the one thing that I've learned is classes seem to constantly cost like three grand. It's just like, yeah, I got $3,000 worth of classes. It seems like that's never ending. Yeah, that's... But, but you don't. That's pretty much all I know about the. You don't pay like fourteen thousand dollars, and now you you're a, a four star general or something. You you take classes, and then you you go up. Um, one of the things people seem to be up in a roar about is like it's not a religion. It doesn't deserve. They don't be, deserve to be tax exempt. And I'm like, you realize like fucking Walmart manages not to pay taxes, right? What do I fucking care of science? science? They figured it out. Good for them. Like, right? well, I don't get mad at Walmart either when they manage to not pay taxes. Hey, good for you. You fucking, fi- I'm trying to figure it out. Exactly. If we could figure it out, who's a GE or whatever. They did the same thing a couple fucking, of years ago. So good for them. But I, I, I won't. Yeah. But they, these people now seem like they're higher educated. They know more about Scientology and they're fucking. Cause whatever. it's a doc and docs are totally unbiased. And, and that's blackfish. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so yeah, being miserable can give the impression that you're wise, especially if you're miserable, just not about your life, but about society in general, you can project an aura of someone burdened by a form of profound, tragic, existential knowledge that happy, shallow people can't possibly appreciate. This is perfect for what I was just saying about Starbucks. Happy, shallow people. Right. I like Starbucks and I like Pearl Harbor, so I must be happy and shallow. I am not deep enough to understand how bad Starbucks is and how I should go to the local little fucking homegrown coffee guy. I have friends who say that all the time about Walmart. We won't shop there. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all about Walmart because if I was a business owner, I, my business model would be like Walmart. How that, much money do they make? 
this this is the hipster douchebag thing that I often say about coffee shops. People are just like, oh, coffee bean, oh, Starbucks. And they they go to like the little tiny cop mom and pop sort of coffee shop. And I'm like, you realize all those coffee shops, all they fucking want to be is Starbucks. Absolutely. No mom and pop is just like, yeah, we just want this one store. We want it. We're content. We want to struggle making, every month. We want to struggle and make $30,000 a year. Yeah, this is, we're really happy. Working in this. seven days a week, not taking a vacation. Yeah, this they're, is awesome. They all want fucking 50 stores. But so when they get to that point, now all of a sudden they're douchebag Starbucks stores. They sold out. Um. I'm not I'm not a big Walmart shopper and it's not because I hate Walmart. Certainly if I need something I walk into the store. It's I just don't really need it. I don't I go to Target and I go to Vons. We don't consume a lot. And I go to Amazon, obviously we learned in the past podcast. Walmart's close to me is the reason why I go if Target was closer, I'd probably go to Target. Target's but, super close to us. Walmart is another like three miles well, Walmart's away. Walmart's super close to me, so, so that's that's my go to. I mean last night we would oh, Deanna wanted some makeup and bathing suits and we went to Walmart or we went to Target. Cause it's just right there and easy to go to anyway. Uh, so, uh, let's get right to it and take a look at some effective strategies to be miserable. Now see if maybe you've some employed some of these. Okay. Number one, be afraid, be very afraid of economic loss. Uh, in hard economic times, many people are afraid of losing their jobs or savings. The art of messing up your life consists of indulging these fears, even when there's little risk that you'll actually suffer such losses. Concentrate on this fear. Make it a priority in your life. Moan continuously that you could go broke any day now and complain about how much everything costs, particularly if someone else is buying. Try to initiate quarrels about other people's feckless spendthrift ways and suggest that the recession has resulted from irresponsible fiscal behavior like theirs. So you are a person who basically lives paycheck to paycheck yet you don't bitch about, I mean, you, you know, you may talk about, well, you know, Hey, whatever. I got yeah, the month is always out. hard for me, so. but you're never sitting here going like, um, I don't know that I have $5 for that Starbucks. <laughs> I don't know that I like fucking movies have just become so expensive. Have you seen the price of bread? But there are definitely people out there who do this. They do. And there are people who being afraid of economic loss, like, um, Actually, this goes on to what I was just going to say. Fearing economic loss has several advantages. First, it'll keep you working forever at a job you hate. Now, we're going to Europe in a month. I have yet to tell my work that I'm going to Europe because I've been trying to jockey into another position and just playing the office politics game. Uh, I'm going to give them four weeks notice. I'm a little... I'm a little worried that when I do give them four weeks notice, they'll just be like, eh, you can go ahead and leave now. And I would like those four weeks of pay up until the time that I leave <laughs> be nice, yeah. because I'm going to be gone for five weeks without any pay whatsoever. It's not like I'm going on vacation, but I've told people about this that, you know, I'm going to Europe and they're like, well, your work's giving you the time off. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to quit. Oh my God, you're going to quit. Yeah, I'm going to quit. It's not the job that I wanted. I didn't want to be an assistant editor. I wanted to edit shows. I didn't want to work in development in a corporate environment. Yeah, I could live in fear and remain there in a job. I don't hate it, but in a job that I don't want, I would grow to hate it, I guess. Or I can take the chance and go after what I want. A lot of people fear economic loss and literally just stay there. Just continue working at whatever job they hate or don't really like because they're afraid that if they quit, they won't get another job. 
And that's what people have told me. I mean, this is particularly like very much my parents, Deanna's parents, like an old school thinking. Like, how do you quit a job that you already have and for a gamble of a job you might get? Look, two years ago, I didn't have this fucking job. So, right, but I, you may die tomorrow. I may die tomorrow, right. but you, you know, why not do it? You recently just changed jobs from one place to another, and you changed because you were no longer happy at the job that you had. The new job was going to pay more, and there would be a lot of people that would go, no, I don't want to do that because, hey, I'm already comfortable. I already know. I already have the same parking spot. I'm set in my ways, like all that sort of shit. And you live in misery when you do that. But take a chance. Take a fucking go to well, that's a, Life's about living. I'm all about that. I'm, we're, let's gonna see what's happening coming up soon. Uh, let's see. Second, it balances nicely with greed and obsession with money and selflessness that even Ebenezer Scrooge would envy. Third, not only will you alienate your friends and family, but you're like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> the people that really get me are the people who are like work at McDonald's are like, we need more money. Well, McDonald's is no. It's not a career job. It shouldn't be right. It's a, if you, you don't like a, if you don't like how much you make, what do you do about it? Go to school, become something better. Exactly, you better yourself. Not well. No, it's the company's fault that I'm not making this much money. Walmart, I don't make enough at Walmart. A professional what burger do do about flipper that? should not exist, <laughs> right? It's not a career choice. Especially, I mean, if, well, I don't know if I, I've seen it on uh, on how it's made. But now they have like conveyor belts that cook the burger and it even flips it. So it comes out. So you don't even need someone to look at the burger and go, oh, now it needs to be flipped. And they've measured out the meat. So they know that it takes 37 seconds before you have to flip it. Everything yeah, is figured temperature, out. temperature, there's no. The, yeah, it's down to a side. You don't, there's nobody who needs to be educated in fucking flipping a burger. Um, number two, practice sustained boredom. This is common to miserable people. Uh, cultivate the feeling that everything is predictable, that life holds no excitement, no possibility for adventure, and that an inherently fat, oh, an inherently fascinating person like yourself has been deposited in a completely tedious and pointless life through no fault of your own. Total teenager, right? Right. But this continues. And I, and as I read this, I thought about teenagers and I thought, oh, this is their way of becoming the center of attention. And like, life is too boring for them. And you just hear them constantly, like, I'm bored, I'm bored. But as people become adults, they they go places and they're just like, this is fucking boring. Why are we here? Let's go do, let's drink. That's a popular one, right? Oh, yeah. I'm well, bored. Let's drink. Like, this sucks. I can't enjoy any of this fucking sunset without booze. And it's, it's totally being miserable. I agree. <clears throat> like one of our friends said, you forget a lot of the stuff when you start drinking, when you drank too much and the experience isn't there because they, you don't remember the experience. Oh, your experience. Yeah. That you got drunk. <coughs> we need a cough button. Complain a lot about how bored you are, which is pretty much what teenagers do. Make it the main subject of conversation. Again, teenagers. I was bored all day. Yeah. I didn't find so. anything on TV. I bet Daniel still does this. Does heaven do this? You know, Daniel, I don't think does because Daniel's constantly on his computer making music. Oh, like, is he? Yeah. So he may or may not be. If he's not watching TV, his computer's in front of him. If he's watching TV, actually, his computer's in front of him. And he's still doing that. So he's constantly mixing stuff together. Heaven, on the other hand, well, some of hers might be alcohol. <laughs> uh, consider, <clears throat> actually, Heaven has probably done this. Consider provoking a crisis to relieve your boredom. Provoking TJ, a crisis? TJ would probably agree. Sometimes he gets attacked <laughs> because she's bored. Yeah, yeah. And that's usually due to drinking, though. 
have an affair. This works best if you're already married or even better if you have an affair with someone else who's married. Go on repeated shopping sprees for clothes, cars, fancy appliances, sporting equipment. Take several credit cards in case one maxes out. Start pointless fights with your spouse, boss, children, friends, neighbors. Have another child. Quit your job. Clean out your savings account and uh, move to a state you know nothing about. So that sounds like a midlife crisis. Yeah, very much does sound like a midlife crisis. The side benefit of being bored is that you inevitably become boring. Friends and relatives will avoid you. You won't be invited anywhere. No one will want to call you, much less actually see you. As this happens, you'll feel lonely and even more bored and miserable. Uh, who wants to be in, around someone who's negative all the time? I mean, I don't, know, don't. I don't know how Pooh does it. But, Pooh and Piglet around Eeyore? <laughs> I'd be like, sorry, uh, yeah, I got this thing. I, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. So, but they say okay. misery loves company, and it is true. Uh, like, Well, once again, that's the whole Springer thing, right? Because I want to watch these people are miserable because maybe my misery isn't as bad or I can relate to them. I don't know. But look at it in terms of this. Let's say, let's say you recently, someone recently passed away in your, in your life, in your family or whatever. So what do people do? They all come around, they bring you food and, you know, they sit with you and they enjoy your, they wallow in your misery. They try, they say they're trying to make you feel better or trying to pep you up, but they're just there and partaking in the misery. Do they partake in it because they want to feel miserable with you? Or or is it because, well, at least my life isn't that bad. I think that's it. Misery loves company. There's there's something of maybe gauging my life isn't as bad as this person. Yeah, your life really sucks. I'll sit here and say, oh, that's too bad. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, thank God I'm not you. Right. Now, on the other side of it, something fantastic happens to you. You get a job promotion. um, I don't know, something. It can't be win the lottery because that will bring people out. Uh, and not really having a baby because that's miserable in itself. And people come out to also be like, thank God I'm not you. <laughs> but if something fantastic happens in your life, do people really come around and, you know, to celebrate and bring you food and whatever? They're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, you got a new no, job. Good usually, for him. Yeah. yeah. So happiness doesn't love com- company, but misery loves company. Well, yeah, I don't want to see you succeed. That means you're better in yourself and I'm not. Right. I'm you're doing something. Still. What what gives you the right to do something that I couldn't do or that I didn't I decided not to do, you fucker. Um what can I do to bring you down? Give your, my life sucks. My life sucks. <laughs> give yourself a negative identity. Allow a perceived emotional problem to absorb all other aspects of your self-identification. If you feel depressed, become a depressed person. If you suffer suffer from social anxiety or phobia, assume the identity of a phobic person. Now, I know people who do this uh, or a person with anxiety disorder. Focus on how depressed you are and become weepy. If that's your identity of choice, refuse to go places or try new things that make you too anxious. It's important to show that you don't enjoy these states of behavior. This is very much like the people who, on the simplest form, is like, I won't fly. I, I, I won't get into a plane. I, you know, I can't do that. Um, I am, I have decided that I'm going to be the person who can't fly. So now I'm the person who can't fly and you all should feel sorry for me because I can't fly. And I'm never going to change because then I do that. I'm an ass. Right. Or even I, though I really want to fly like deep down, like I, I, I could go take off and fly somewhere. No one would ever know. Right. <laughs> or I, I, I don't eat chicken or I don't eat beef. And you know, you should all cater to me and, and make something that uh, I can eat or whatever. The, and then it gets deeper when people are like, oh, I have this anxiety disorder. I can't be around people. And then you find yourself not being around people. And then you just talk about how not being around people is your thing. And, and how you other post people it should, constantly? 
What? Oh, and then you post it. Yeah, you post it constantly. The, yeah, the people on uh, Facebook who just constantly talk about how terrible their lives are uh, and then get mad at everybody else who posts nice things and how fake they all are. I wish my life was that good. Yeah, I love that. Oh, you guys just come on here and post all the good things that happen in your life and nothing real. Yeah, it's Facebook. <laughs> Exactly. That's the point. Like, it's not my dear diary. Right. Had diarrhea today. Don't really want to share that. You know, found $10. Woohoo. Yeah. I'm going to share that. Like, going to Europe. Fuck you guys. Uh-huh. Um, I, I figure that's what Facebook is. It's the one up of each other. Exactly. Uh, avoid gratitude. Research shows that people who express gratitude are happier than those who don't. So never express gratitude. Counting your blessings is for idiots. What blessings? Life is suffering and then you die. What's there to be thankful for? I, that's so fucking true. Uh, the miserable people that I know rarely ever say please and thank you. The happy people that I know are always grateful for everything. That's true. They're always just like, you fucking, you, you, I mean, I feel like I have an awesome life. You bring me something that, you know, I don't know, it's cool. I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. This is cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I try to be grateful for everything that comes my way, but miserable people. No, no, but, uh, thanks. I'll just set it here. Actually, yeah. Say thanks. What'd you bring just, me this for? What's this for? What am I supposed to do with this? Put it over there. Why'd you do I'll, that? We already have one of these. Yeah. Fucking assholes. Uh, number eight, always be alert and in a state of anxiety, optimism about your future leads only to disappointment. Therefore you have to do your best to believe that your marriage will flounder. Your children, children won't love you. Your business will fail and nothing good will ever work out for you. Awesome. Yeah. We know those people. Yes, absolutely. We do. Number nine. I'm guilty. Go anywhere. I'm guilty of this one a little bit. Blame your parents. No, everyone. It's got to be somebody's fault. It's never my fault. Never. <laughs> Blame your parents for your defects, shortcomings, and failures is among the uh, most important steps you can take. After all, your parents made you who you are today. If you had nothing, uh, you had nothing to do with it. If you happen to have any good qualities or successes, don't give your parents any cl- any credit. Those are flukes. I'm very guilty of this. Like anything good that happens. It's I, not from my parents. Yeah, I don't really attribute to them. And anything that bad happens, I do somewhat blame on them. Although I don't blame bad things that happen to me on my parents. Like, I, I don't. I mean, I love my career. I love so many things in my life. The things that I sort of blame on my parents is like, my. I think my parents wonder why I don't call them or why I'm not like very family oriented. Mm-hmm. We never were growing up. Like, and now they expect it. They seem to like. We oh. never visited relatives. My dad would groan if my in law, my mom's, or my grandparents, my mom, his in laws, uh, were in town and staying at the house, and how it just wrecked his life and was an inconvenience. We never did family vacations. We never were together as a family. So. Now, when and if my grandmother would call, oh, he would, for a long time you had a business with your dad, though, so you saw him constantly. I saw him constantly, and I figured like I, I've had my fill, <laughs> like that was it. Uh, my parents are always like, "How come you, we haven't talked to you in like two weeks?" I'm like, "Well, she like, well, how come you haven't called?" I'm like, "Well, how, why can't you call?" Like it's always me. Like I, I always have to call them. Like they never give me a call unless it's like it's been two weeks and we haven't heard from you. You know, there, there's a certain a bit of that that I feel as well, like. I'm starting a brand new career that I spend 12 hours a day, five days a week at. My time is very limited. They're retired. Like, come down and have dinner. You drive here 
and we'll have dinner and then you go home. Like, yeah, you live an hour away, but you're also fucking retired. That's right. You, you can make it up on the back end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you want to see me or you want to call me or spend time with me, uh, do that. Deanna's parents are very good about that. Like Deanna's, I can call Deanna's parents on a Tuesday and be like, you guys want to come over for dinner? Sure. They'll stop. They will have made dinner, but they realize that spending time with their kids is way more important than whatever dinner they've made. Yeah. And they're also or five minutes away. They're also five <laughs> minutes away or they will bring it over. They will bring it. Well, we've already made chicken. We can bring that over. Or, you know, you want to come over here and just come in, come over for dinner. Uh, my parents, not so much, but I am, I am a bit of guilty of that. Oh, I think I am too. Uh, extend your blame to other people from your past. The second grade teacher who yelled at you in the cafeteria, the boy who bullied you when you were nine, the college professor who gave you a D on a paper, your first boyfriend, even the hick town you grew up in, are, uh, possibilities are limitless. This is true. People are just like, I'm fucked up because, hey, I'm from Ohio or, hey, I'm from whatever. Well, I think anyone from Texas is fucked up. But there that's you just go. Me. But, but that's and, a true statement, though. I think they're just fucked up. And they'll be like, yeah, I messed up because, ooh, I was raped when I was nine. Fucking get over it. Move on. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? The priest me? diddled me. But so I got a what? Snickers and a Coke out of the deal. I, I, what are you talking about? That's a good deal. Uh, Mary Kay Letourneau, uh, it, who, uh, well, if people don't remember, she's the hot blonde teacher that fucked her 12-year-old, 13-year-old student. And then when she got out of jail, she's married him and had two kids with him. She was just on Barbara Walters and they're still together. They and, are. Yeah. I mean, she seriously has taken it too far. Like she's, she's proven a point way too much. She doesn't need to be with him anymore. Um, or he doesn't need to be with her. Well, well, he's, if you saw the interview, he's weird. He's not, I don't know. Well, that's she, because of what she did to him as a young age. Well, here's the weird thing from that is, um, I found out that, she was she knew him when he was seven years old when he was in second grade so she was part of his raising from second grade to or seven to 12 Did she teach there or was yeah she taught him it? i think she taught him in the second grade uh alleged, allegedly uh anyway and then her previous husband and their two kids they moved to alaska they were like, we can't. The father, smart guy, he's like, there's no way we can fucking outlive this in the continental United States. <laughs> right. We're going to Alaska. And the kids are like, where? And he's like, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. That's where we have no neighbors for miles. Getting the fuck away from your mother because this is never going away. And it never has. Nope. Everyone still knows that name. Obviously, if she was on Barbara Walters. She was on Wal yeah, Barbara Walters. And, uh, you know, I mean, hey, he was, he was diddled at 12. He, he managed to work out for him. So, you know. Extend that blame. Uh, number 11, ruminate. Spend a great deal of time focused, <clears throat> time focused on yourself. Worry constantly about the causes of your behavior, analyze your defects, and chew on your problems. Um, miserable people that I know fucking just ruminate on it. Well, of course. They say, I, I don't have a job, so what am I going to do all day? It's fucking nonstop. I don't have a job because, you know, no one likes me. No one, whatever the case is, I don't have enough skills. Yeah. Well, there's schools out there. Yeah, to get those schools. Ways of doing not this. only that, they, you know, I'm not a good enough typist. Hmm. But I have Wi-Fi. I'm pretty sure if I have a computer that there's a program on YouTube or something out there that's free. I learned so much. On, I learned how to pick a lock on YouTube last night. <laughs> I learned so much on you. Like, and this is what's fucked up. Uh, you, I mean, you, you really don't have much of the right to speak from it because you did go to college. And you did everything the right way. I'm not trying to take it away from you, but I dropped out of fucking school in the ninth grade 
And I've still made it to where I am today, which right. I mean, I'm not a multimillionaire, but I dropped out of school in the fucking ninth grade. So if I can figure it out, there's and, and no you are excuse. Doing well. you're, you're doing well than most people who. There's no excuse for anybody else. Like, fuck, I went back and I got my GED. I figured, hey, I. But I you got your GED only a couple of years ago. Only a couple of years ago. And I figured out, and I went to college. And I have. I, <laughs> you have some college. I have some, I have some college, which. Uh, oh, was it there? I, I kept this to show to Deanna. There was a survey recently that I had to take. I think it was for our medical thing. And uh, there was a checkbox for some college and both of us were in the same checkbox. And I was like, ha, ha, you spent two years. I went one class, <laughs> but you got the same but box. I, we're at the same checkbox. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously if I could do it, anybody could do it. Uh, glorify or but in America, it's just deserved. You shouldn't have to actually work for it. Yeah. People, it's the whole thing of the fast food wages. People feel like they deserve because I'm working at this job. They deserve it. Um, they deserve a higher wage. And those people, and I mean, on one hand, when they're like, we do these shit jobs and don't get paid for it. Yeah, that is a shitty job. It should really pay more. But I mean, the point is, is we don't want you to have a career at that. Exactly. Anybody can do that job is the reason why you don't get paid for it. The guys, Walmart, it's, I can, anybody can stock shelves. Anybody can run something about, around the little scanner. The, uh, the people who work at the sewage treatment plant, they get paid well. That's, right? that's a shit job that became a career that we realized, oh, we need to pay people well if we want uh-huh. them to do this. Letting 16-year-olds do this job probably isn't going to work out why, well for our septic systems or our sewage systems. Yeah, um, and those people don't understand. So if they get $5 more yeah. an hour, what, what about their managers? So now the manager has to get $5 an hour. And now as a professional, I'm like, well, these people are getting $5 more an hour. Why aren't I getting 5 more dollars an hour? Right. And then your hamburger is now a $10 hamburger at McDonald's. Like value bill, what's that? Right, and now I need another five dollars an hour because I can't afford to buy the hamburger. That's yeah. how that's how inflation works. Other it is. I, entire... I, broke, I forget how he did it, but I broke it down one day because one of my kids this was a couple of years ago in my classes, and they're like, "Well, I think we deserve to make more money, minimum wage." I'm like, "Okay, let's break it down." So we have ten employees, and they make two dollars more an hour. So now I'm paying twenty dollars more per hour, right? Twenty dollars more per hour times forty, blah, blah blah. You know, broke it all down to where so I have to make an extra like I don't know if it was like fifteen thousand dollars a month to support my employees. What do you think is going to happen? Wherever the price is going to go, are they going to stay the same? Yeah. No, they're not. I'm in for profit. <laughs> right? If you break down the numbers, it doesn't work the way. It's just not, oh, it's just not happy. Right. Now you, ask, gets the, you ask the kids, if you're making less money, do you raise the price of something you're selling? Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. People, people just don't seem to understand. That's, yeah. It, yeah. Everyone, minimum wage is now $15. Yay. But I also pay $10 for a McDonald's hamburger. Yeah. I support it. Sure. Raise the price of minimum. I mean, but it has really, to be fair across the board. But here's the thing. Here's why I'm a homeowner and you're a homeowner. So this is one reason we should support it. If you start paying Walmart employees, I don't know, let's say $3 million an hour. Fantastic. Price of my house is going to go up. <laughs> I'm already locked in at what I bought my house at. That's true. So now, Six months from now, I can sell my house to a Walmart employee for $34 million? I'm moving out of the country. <laughs> well, yeah, but is our dollar I just gonna... became the richest person in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> but is our dollar going to be worth anything at that point? No, absolutely not. So it's it's like during world or pre-World War II where they have the people going for bread lines with mil- millions of marks, right? That's the British or the, the, the German, German mark. mark. Yeah. yeah, there's like a billion, dollar, a billion marks for a, a loaf of bread. Yeah. Right. And that would, what would be happen? Right. It's worth nothing. Uh, glorify or vilify the past. I always hear the fucking miserable people talking about how great everything was. 
The good old days. The you never old heard days. Oh, the bad old days. Yeah. Good old fucking days, man. And and that that's something I never do. I'm never sitting there going. I have found myself now that I'm fucking forty and it definitely ages me. Oh, earlier you and I were talking about the price of a roof and I said five grand and you said ten grand. There's a lot of things that I'm way out of touch on on price. Like the last time I bought that or did that, it was only this much. So if I walk into, you know, a store and bread is like four dollars i'm like what the fuck this right? shit used to be like a buck right which is very much an old person thing to say back in the good old days yeah, yeah so price I, of gas i remember you have 99 cents well i don't i guess gas is a daily thing that you that, or a weekly thing that you look at price of depending on who you are so i don't i don't really no one doesn't bug me as much as like well disneyland like Disneyland is, I don't know, $150 a person to get in or something yeah, now. Like yeah. Plus when your residence is like 99. And okay. I sit there and go, I remember when this fucking place was 20 bucks. I remember when you get in free and just had to buy the tickets. What do you mean? Oh, you had to buy ride tickets? Ride tickets. But like, the park was free. If you just wanted to go hang out at Main Street or whatever, it was all free to go into. You, If you wanted to ride a ride, you I had your- I don't remember your, that at all. Knott's Berry Farm was the same. Wow, that's pretty cool. I remember, that's like a carnival. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it was. That's thus the e-ticket, which I actually still have some somewhere. <laughs> uh, be critical. Make sure to have an endless list of dislikes. This is what I was saying before about uh, Starbucks or, you know, just because I like Pearl Harbor. So, you know, you, that you hate things makes you uh, makes you better than everybody else. Well, yeah, you got to be passionate about it. It which, helps. Which is what you see during, uh, you know, wonderful Facebook and politics. Uh, All the rants you get on, uh, about politics. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because um, it's going to change my mind. Your your face, your rant on Facebook will change my political views. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I totally. I don't really understand that. Um, I did read an article, or I read something that someone posted today about. Uh, oh, dear, the Republican, the Mexican Republican that's probably going to go for president. Florida. Oh. I keep forgetting his name. Oh, uh, dude's probably going to win. But uh, what is his name? It's not Cruz, is it? Cruz. Yeah, yeah, is it Cruz. Cruz? Um, Someone posted something about his quick response to a question about gay marriage. Um, and it wasn't really a political rant from that person, but I did read the article. Uh, and it was a pretty decent response from him that, you know, bashed the demos, the Democrats, and uh, basically said that it's up to each state and always has been. And he's happy to continue that. And it's the Democrats who uh, are trying to change it on a federal level when they have absolutely no business to do so. And, you know, that's right. That's true. I mean. Mm, I don't know about that. I think it needs to be changed on a federal level. That, mar- that marriage needs to be changed on a federal level? The the definition of marriage, because marriage is, in, uh, it's not. Federally classi- recognized. It, but it's not classified as male-female in, in the wording. So I think they need to classify it to make sure that people know that it can be male-male, female-female, male-female. So I think. The gray area needs needs to pick one way or the other. For that me, way, there can't be any of the, the issues that we're having. Uh, for me, this is up there with the Scientology document or doc, documentary. I don't really give a shit. That, that's because you're not gay, but you know, or Scientologist. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I just don't care. I, I thought, really, it, it doesn't impact my life either way. I thought his response was really good because it deflected from the typical. Uh, conservative Republican of like gay bashing and we hate gays. And he was just like, it's a state problem. And then he managed to deflect it over onto the Democrat Democrats. And I just thought it was really smart. I was like, Hey, you know, good for him. Good, good response. 
Um, I mean, oh, absolutely. You passed if, the buck right, right there. He just passed the buck. Good politician. One of the things that I enjoy about America really works. good politics. Amworks. We'll just call it Amworks. Amworks. Really? Uh, what was that? <laughs> House of Cards. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I know that. I know that from something. Uh, political television. House of Cards. I love is uh is the political quips it's not so much what my feelings on the uh issue are it's just i really enjoy how the two fight when they fight well when when they play well together yeah when they fight well with each other um so it helps if you criticize uh if it helps if the things you criticize are well liked by most people so that your dislike of them sets them apart disliking traffic or mosquitoes isn't creative enough Disliking Starbucks and Walmart and those sorts of things, so this way you can go to battle. That's right. I, I have an opinion about it. Why you should not <clears throat> vegetarians? Right, and you sound so much high and mighty. Right, vegetarians. Do we like vegetarians or hate vegetarians? I, I don't. I have no problem with it. Actually, I think it's kind of funny because there's no. I've never met a veg. Well, I guess I have met a vegetarian who's like, uh, you got to eat only this. You got to try this. But usually, it's usually the 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 people who eat meat, the carnivores will be the ones who are like, oh, you got you to eat meat. Your body needs meat. Like usually it's not the vegetarians going the opposite direction. It's usually the, the carnivores who have to switch, switch you over. When, when I meet a vegetarian or any of the other flavors, the ones that eat fish and the ones that are vegan. Pescatarians. And all that, pescatarians. Uh, yeah, so many fucking names <laughs> right. of it. That I find that to be absurd. Like, just call them picky eaters. Yeah, like there, is there a name for someone who – yeah, picky eater. <laughs> Is there a name for someone who eats everything but beef? Um, then there's a name for someone who eats everything but beef and pork. And then a name for someone who eats everything but chicken and pork. Like, it just gets ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't eat meat, but I eat chicken. Yeah, I eat mm-hmm. chicken. Wait a second. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was you eat fish. Yeah, but I don't like fish. So I, just, I substitute chicken. <laughs> but doesn't it have a face too? Yeah, but I just... That, I does, that doesn't count. <laughs> um, usually when i when people are like i don't eat something or i'm a vegetarian I, then the question comes up is why cuz you love animals or is this a health thing like what's going on and it's somewhat of a rarity enough that i i ask the question enough or I, when i meet people i ask them but it's not cuz i care and i'm like hey you need to eat meat when i don't eat fish uh people are often fascinated by that and i'm happy to talk about it but the truth is that i get that all the time also it's not because i love fish or it's because my parents <laughs> Blame it on the parents. It's my parents. I didn't eat. I was raised. Not only was I raised that like my family didn't eat fish. I was raised that fish was fucking disgusting. So trying to explain this to people, I'm like, I'm. At, I usually use the gay thing. I'm like, you were raised. You're straight or you're gay or whatever, but you're straight. You were raised not to suck a dick. Now imagine putting a dick in your mouth. That's what it's like for me to eat fish. <laughs> uh. I mean, it sounds strange, but I was not raised that like, oh, we just don't eat fish. I was raised that fish was disgusting and sick. So I just have this idea that fish is nasty and I won't eat fish. I know it's stupid. I know I'm fucked up. I know I should eat fish. Right. And I and I, should, I probably should also. I take my fish oil. And I fish. take fish oil pills too, which I know have fucking fish in them. But right. if you take a fork full of fish and put it in front of me, I'm like, mm, not going to happen. Uh, yeah, right. I've, I've tried it on occasion. Uh, I've never tried it. I, the last time I had fish, and, and this is fucked up. My parents, I don't know. I think my parents were trying to fuck with me. So we didn't eat fish. Fish was, you know, a no-no. Absolutely didn't happen. But we had fish sticks. I remember. I remember the moment in my dining room when I was five years old, or my parents' dining room when I was five years old. I'm eating fish sticks that I always called fish sticks 
And now I realize this fish means there's fish in this in these fish sticks. That's light the last bulb time I just had fish. went off. Yeah. At five years old, <laughs> light bulb went off. And that was it. When I figured out that that meant that there was fish in there, I stopped eating them. This is how much that even fucked up, fucked me up. Goldfish crackers. I wouldn't eat them up until a few years ago <laughs> because the word fish is in it. And Swedish fish. You don't and they look either? like, I don't know what that is. That's what the is? candy. Little red candies look like fish. Like it looks like a gummy bear. That's fish. Oh, Usually I don't know, flavor. but I won't even, I won't really eat gummy bears or gummy worms either. Cause I don't like that stuff. That's weird. Candy. <laughs> give me fire. You're going to give me sugar. Give me chocolate. Um, but uh, but yeah, the goldfish I stayed away from because I thought there was fish. I thought it was it's well, it was there in the name of fish sticks. Um, so yeah, where are we on time? Uh, we're at four fifty two, and all right, fifty six minutes. So eighty four degrees. We'll end up going a little bit longer because the next fun thing I have uh, part of uh, here. I have stuff for you to read. All right, let's just see. <clears throat> this is probably going to be the boringest podcast ever. No, we already had one of those on your trip to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I had, I think I branded number eight as the boringest podcast ever. Well, I thought we had one where it was just you talking the whole time about something that was, well, I thought it was one of your trips. I don't know. There, wasn't that one of your trips, like three hours dedicated to fucking <laughs> the was, Olympics? It was. Anyway. We've been doing this since the Olympics. We've only had 54. Yeah. You don't come enough. Um, so, uh, that's what she said. That's what I was waiting. Oh, for there's a, <laughs> wait button. a second. There's a green button right to your left. Push the green button. Where's where? Oh, this one. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's what she said. There you go. <laughs> um, it looked like a little frisbee. So I'm like, what are you talking about? So oh, it does say button on it. So one of the things from this article was uh, that uh, that being being miserable is creative. That is their creative outlet. People's creativity is is being miserable. They have nothing else going on in their life, so that's how they extend their creativity. Well, yeah, so, you, you have to bitch about something to make yourself feel better, right? That's still going to make you feel miserable. It's your creative but, outlet, yeah. So and it takes so much energy to be miserable. So yeah, well, they invest it. So internet comments, particularly those on YouTube, are some of the fucking worst in the world. Just like people say on the internet, where they can't be identified, they say the most vile, terrible awful things you could possibly read. Uh, I think it is Jimmy Kimmel does uh, celebrities reading nasty tweets. If you've ever seen that, (laughs) the shit that people say, I mean, it's, it's just, it's usually the ones to them. Yeah. They're reading nasty tweets to them. What people have tweeted them. Um, so, uh, what this is though, I was watching this movie called uh, big fan. And in this movie, it's a, a, uh, I can't remember. Patton Oswalt is a parking attendant who is a big sports fan. And he spends all day in his booth in his parking booth, writing up uh, something that every night he calls into this radio sports show and defends his team. But he actually spends all day doing research and writing paragraphs of material to say that night. And that night when he gets on the phone with the uh, radio station, it sounds like his quips are just coming right off the top of his head and, you know, he's got all these great comebacks and this is his creative outlet. I realized when I was watching that and, and from that movie that when you're in the basement of your parents' home in Ohio and you don't have the ability to write a book or make a movie, 
you have the ability to say something nasty like, you know, you suck egg balls. That's their creativity. That's their miserable fucking creative outlet in life. So generally when I read terrible comments on the various things that I've done, uh, what I think of in return is that this is this person's creative outlet. This is their only, you know, the only thing that they have. And, and that's their creativity. Why do that be? Yeah. Is to bash my creativity. No, I'm not happy. Which takes energy to be negative. Yeah. And I would rather, I would rather that they went out and made a movie or wrote a book or did something that contributed as opposed to tearing down something I did. But I do recognize that, that it is their creativity. Now, every now and then there are a few people who are actually right. (laughs) And they do say things about me that, you know, as hurtful as they are, they're somewhat true. So I printed out, uh, I figured this would be fun. I printed out a couple of uh, reviews of various things. This starts with a review of uh, Rebel Without a Deal, my book, that I thought maybe you could read and maybe I would have the occasional thing to inject and maybe battle back to you. And people can listen to how terrible I am. So, or how terrible these reviews are or how good or how right on they are. Anyway, you you get to dish me my come up and through this and maybe you feel All this right. way uh, maybe i do so, so my see. first one would be matthew a we'll just call him matthew a it publicly his name is it's online i guess too so i will be matthew h ackerman ackerman yeah this is uh this is for rebel without a deal it, he gave it two stars uh reminds me of overnight and not in a good way yeah overnight was a movie all right go for it i believe i have met read a different book than the rest of the reviewers here on Amazon because I can't believe the praise they heap on this book. Frankly, I'm kind of shocked that Kevin Smith would lend his name and time to this book too, but he seems to have a soft spot for the underdog. Honestly, though some of the conversations of the book are downright cringeworthy, but let's get to get to that later. No comments yet? No, no, no. He's right. right. Some of them could be cringeworthy, and I was kind of surprised that Kevin would lend his name as well. <laughs> That's right, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this book chronicles Vince's exploits in quickly writing, financing, and then shooting a low-budget indie comedy film. Distribu- distribution then takes up a considerable amount of the book. He has a passion to get to the movie made, not necessarily the one he shot. It feels like at times he acts as he acts as right director, producer, etc. He acts as right. Yeah, writer? you're okay, supposed writer. to be writer. Okay, That's he acts as writer, producer, okay. director. But this is what the guy wrote. Okay. So and deals with the low-level actors and friends in a quest to get the movie shot. As we continue with the story, we get to some insight of how he met Kevin Smith and got into his graces, which makes me feel embarrassed for Vince, as I read his fairly transparent attempts to use Smith. Maybe they are good friends now, and he is involved with the book and his faces in the, as his face is in the cover. But it seems it's a really greasy way to make a friend. So... Basically, I, you know, these are people who write on the internet, so sometimes their grammar isn't perfect. Um, I'm just reading it for the first time, so that's why it's... And, yeah, you could be fucking it up, too. Uh, but, uh, so basically, this guy is uh, is surprised, well, is embarrassed for the my greasy attempts to try and make Kevin my friend and get him involved in the movie, or get him involved in the book. Which, the book... I guess details my, my greasy attempts, but the book was supposed to be transparent. It was like what I was doing and what was going on. And you because were that's hear- what you do in this industry. You were hearing my inner monologues of the way that I was thinking about things. That was kind of the point of the book. It wasn't like I was boasting and proud and being like, um, 
it, I was just delivering what I was thinking and how it was going about but it. You were just kind of using Kevin Smith, though. I used him. He used me. He got something out of it. I got something out of it. I did stuff for him, and in exchange, he did stuff for me. Uh, we are not great friends now. Um, we are not enemies. I mean, we just had a two ships that passed in the night and, you know, each of us got something out of it. It was a fun time and you're done. Yep. Um, anyway, go on. Once the movie is shot and the search for distribution begins, which takes up a bulk of the last half of the book, Vince is his own worst enemy here dealing with the big time distributors and what's and somewhat more shady characters. He constantly harasses people and calls them, uh, Incompetent and worse, much worse, which I think would be shooting himself in the foot for his next distribution deal. Now, that's probably true. Like I knew when I released the book, it was a tell all book of all, of all the shit that had happened to me. I spoke about every single distributor under the sun, 20th Century Fox, I mean, Universal, anybody that I went to to try and get distributed. I was pissed off at these people and the way that they mishandled everything. So I probably would be shooting myself in the foot for another distribution deal. He's right. That was the point of the book. Uh, that is true. I would certainly not deal with him as a businessman if I saw how he talked about others he dealt with in the industry, especially in such public way. Eventually, he gets what he is looking for, and his financial mess begins. And that's another thing. I mean, you write You're a like book. like Kanye. I am? Nobody <laughs> wants to deal with Kanye? <laughs> no, he's a dick. Uh, if Kanye wanted to be in my movie, I'd make it work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and shit is weird with Kanye, but you know, you just deal with Kanye crazy. Um, but I mean, Hey, that's, that was the, I knew that writing a book that told all that, yeah, there were going to be people who probably didn't want to deal with me because they'd be afraid that I was just going to write another book that would talk about what they did or I'd do a podcast to talk about what they did. That's right. All right. Go on. Uh, but we're not really listening. I'm talking about what they're doing. Now, again, right now. this is somebody's art and we are right now on starting paragraph four of somebody who hates me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Vince has passion, but his tactics I didn't care for, and it seemed to, uh, seems to see himself as better than almost anyone else he deals with. Now, let's pause right there. I am better than everybody else on this planet, and I do think I'm better than everybody. Don't you? Well, I don't think so. You don't think you're better your, than everybody? Your, your tactics and stuff like that? I don't... Um, I'm not supposed to be Matthew here. No, I, you, you have to be. You have to be. Otherwise, how are you going to get anywhere in life? Shouldn't every person walk around with an, I think this is the most ridiculous thing that comes from childhood when other kids are like, would well, you think you're better than us? Yes. That, that's what stands me out. Yeah. I don't want to be worse than you. I want to be Society better than you. Society today makes sure everyone, every kid's the same though. Everyone gets an award. This is so, but and aside from that, from society, kids themselves, you should fucking think you're better than everybody. You should at something. You're at everything. Like if you're not better, if you're not better than somebody at something and you want to be, then become it. Like I'm not better at fucking, I don't know, cycling or fucking swimming. I don't want to be better at it, but I still think I'm a better human being than that person. Why wouldn't you? Well, that's true. I, I'm like that. I think it's the most lucrative ludicrous thing to fucking say and it's very much a miserable what do you think you're better than me yeah yeah right? i do because what does matthew h ackerman <laughs> actually do ackermanen i don't know what he does but right exactly he anyway. obviously has, has a lot of time on his hands to write to these four, things paragraph four you're on um let's see the battle over getting his name on the cover of the dvd is short but it shows he has quite an ego that after viewing the movie is not matched by his talents in fact 
watching the movie was more than of a morbid curiosity than anything. Well, not horrible. It definitely fits the indie mold that has gone out of flavor. The best I can say is as a cinematographer did much. I'm sorry. The best I can say is his cinematographer did much with a limited budget and story. So he, he lambasts me for getting my name on the, uh, on the DVD. Uh, I explained in the movie that this was my first movie might be my last currently still is my last. Why wouldn't I fight to get my name on the DVD? Absolutely. Like, who did that hurt? Like it didn't, it fucking didn't, it was, it doesn't change anything of his viewing of it. It it didn't hurt nothing. And actually it turns out that as he reads this or, or as he, as he writes this, he watched that or more morbid or watched it out of morbid curiosity, but the movie he claims is not horrible. And right, cause I've seen horrible movies. I've watched movies out of morbid curiosity. I'm like, Oh yeah, that sucks. That's bad. <laughs> uh, and it f- says that he claims that it fits the indie mold. That's gone out of favor. All right. But it was in favor at some point. And he then praises the cinematographer. It does. But I agree that some of the stuff has gone out of favor. It, uh, what? Like, some of like, kisses and caroms? Well, no, like the clerk style and stuff like that. The indie style of that, I don't think is around anymore. I don't get I no. think the way things are, changed in the just the industry and the way people the, can film things and your cameras and all things have changed it yeah. doesn't happen like that anymore. yeah movies are com- yeah the movie landscape is completely different yeah um, all right paragraph uh, five uh, overall i would not recommend this book go ahead and pick up robert rodriguez's book rebel without a crew this is that this is playing off of that would be money well spent so I agree. That is money well spent. I talk about in my book that you should read that book, that it's a fantastic book. Um, but Robert Rodriguez's book is what happens when you make a $7,000 movie and Columbia Pictures buys it for a million dollars and it launches a three-picture deal for you. My book is what happens to everybody else. Right. Because <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Name like said, all Kevin, the- Kevin Smith clerks. He talks, he, doesn't he talk about it all the time? Like, it's not the same industry anymore. No. Name all the people that happened to and when the last time that that happened to somebody was. And the last person that made an indie film and did really well, I think, is Chris Nolan, which was, you know, Memento, oh, yeah, Memento. to the Batman franchise. Um, the guy, I don't know his name who, who did saw, he just did fast and the furious, Kevin Smith, uh, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino. This is going back 20 years. Yeah. There's no one like, I mean, we just had Sundance. You can't what, even what, go what back. Have you heard coming from Sundance the past Yeah. Years? You can't even go back 10 years in Sundance and find someone who came out of nowhere. Bla- the Blair Witch Project guys, they haven't really gone on to do anything hugely successful like Chris Nolan, but, um, that shit doesn't happen anymore. That story is done. And even I, I would even say my story from Rebel Without a Deal is done because there's no more video stores. So you don't even get a DVD deal anymore. I don't know what the landscape of making it. And this is why I haven't made a movie. Great. Let's go make a movie. What do we do with it when we're done? Yeah, because before, which we still have some of, is the DVDs. Do you see any indie films in theaters anymore? No. Adam Carolla raised the most amount of money for an independent film on Kickstarter ever. It was like, cause you got to exclude Veronica Mars. It's not really an independent film. Cause that was Warner brothers. I don't uh, know. And they also had a, a, a already a backing. Like Veronica Veronica Mars, Mars. Yeah. It's already there. Adam straight up, uh, crowdfunding with his fans raised like over a million dollars to make a movie called Roadheart. You probably never even heard of it. I have not heard it of it. It just came out like a few weeks ago. It's on VOD right now. 
Uh, he had gotten very small theatrical release. This dude has millions of followers, millions of podcast listeners, uh, raised over a million dollars. He's on five days a week. He's got a successful podcast network, made a feature film. Nobody even knows about it. How do you fucking distribute a movie today? It's not going to get in theaters. It's going to go straight to VOD. It's available in your house right now, but you don't know that it exists available in my house because i don't have any way of getting vod i don't think do you have amazon prime or anything else i don't have amazon prime oh well i mean apple I, I, tv it's <laughs> available in most houses i'm sure i could probably figure out a way to get it yes <laughs> all right so here's another review for rebel without a deal from jimmy zap zapian he gave it three stars he did well this is out of five I'm yeah assuming? out of five three out of five so the other guy gave it two yeah this guy gives it three mm-hmm I finished this recently. I couldn't help get, but get mad while reading it. Grr, I shake my fist at you. Okay, that may have been a little commentary there. But not really at the distributors, though they are to blame for quite a lot of their reckless and stupid handling process, but at the filmmaker, author, Vince Rocha. The book basically goes like this. Once upon a time, a guy liked watching R-rated movies That's when he true. was a youngster. That's true. So that part is true? Uh-huh. It grew up. Is that part true? That's true. Okay, dropped out of high school. Yep. Made and distributed porn. Yep. Maintained a billiard store. Yep. Decided to fall or make a full length feature after a casual consideration. That's kind of true, right there, right? I because mean, hey, if you if you can do porn, might as well take it to the next step and make a commercial feature. And that's exactly what we did. <laughs> that is what we did. That is exactly like you <laughs> and I were two day film school, and <laughs> we went to a two day film school. We were just like, well. I mean, we made we, we produce this stuff and it may it gets to an audience. Why can't we just do it? Yeah, and we did. And it was so it was casual consideration. It was. Uh, let's see. Did it with much. Did trouble. it with much trouble and heavy spending in the process. Yeah, because we didn't know what we were doing. But I wouldn't say heavy spending because on a, well uh, on a full feature film that wasn't heavy spending. No, we were eleven thousand dollars production, but by the time we we're all said and done and in, it's like seventy grand. So but it it's still. Uh, overall, I don't think that. No, yeah, there was baby steps along the way. Overall, it's still cheap for a film. And Absolutely, there were, there were baby calculated steps. Um, uh, but hey, you know, uh, we did it with much trouble because we just casually considered this. We did. Go on. Uh, finished it. Tried to find someone to buy it. Had a deal, then lost it, and then got another deal with the same people, but for considerably less. The end. Isn't that a story? Like he's trying to <laughs> fucking take me down. But there's the arc. <laughs> there's the. the the entire paragraph just explained everything that happened in the book and everything that we did. And I think that's a fucking story. That is, you know, that's actually just kind of a great review or, you know, a, a synopsis like, of what the book is right like, there. It is like you'd see rebel without a deal and you throw it up there and, Oh, that's what the book's about right there. This is everything. That's, so, so that's not bad. It's not bashing it at all. This would be like going Batman, his parents die, becomes a superhero, saves people. The end. <laughs> yeah what that's what you're supposed to watch exactly all right paragraph three uh i guess i'm supposed to pity the underdog because who doesn't the artist who uh who through all of his trials and tribulations made a film that nearly ruined him financially that he slaved many of his years away and felt very strongly about from the beginning that'll help launch lucrative career but the almighty power machine that is hollywood refused him this we should feel up in arms or we should be up in arms uh, cheer for him. Hope that he succeeds. No, I never. I, I, yeah, nowhere, that's not, yeah, that's not what the book was about at all. Yeah, nowhere in the book am I like trying to get people to feel pity for me. No. It's As a matter of, of fact, there's many points when I realize that I'm feeling pity for myself and then course correct and go into another, another fucking direction. Yeah. All right. All right. Paragraph four. Unfortunately, this doesn't happen. And to me, it doesn't seem as a surprise at all. 
As the book casually mentions off and on, and judging solely by the trailer, I'm watching for Netflix to deliver the DVD for Kisses and Carrots. Waiting for Netflix to deliver sorry. the DVD. Waiting, sorry. Now that's important there. Waiting for Netflix to deliver the DVD. He didn't actually pay for it. Got it for free. Go on. <laughs> His final film just isn't any good. Vince has never had any capacity and talent to make the film that would help launch his career. That's true. That's probably very... Okay, now one, it's my final film. So so struggling to get my name on it was smart because I didn't have any other films since then. Yeah. Um, he claims it just isn't any good. And Vince just never had the capacity and talent to make the film that would help launch his career. That's probably true. I mean, look, it wasn't... See, I don't, know about the, I don't know about the talent... Because I, I don't there, but the capacity. I mean, we knew the certain channels and how to get through. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I I think that's, I didn't that's make a tough memento. One. I didn't make. Uh, apparently, had I been more talented, it would have led to a three picture deal. It would have led to something else. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and all those guys, I guess, had more talent or displayed more talent. Is it than or I is did. it right place at the right time? It might be, but I also. I mean, I don't because the indie films don't make it to Sundance anymore. But here's the thing. Maybe I didn't have the capacity for the talent. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I tried. Right. And that's, that's, that's and it. Right? I gave it a shot. So why, why am I being shit on for trying something? All right, go on. Uh, let's see. He certainly had no, he certainly had the ambition. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. And the experience as well. But ambition and experience alone will not propel you upwards, though in some weird, rare cases it does. Look at J- producers John Peters. So wait a minute. Experience, or but ambition and experience will not propel you upwards, but it does. So it does. So on one hand, he's like, it won't get you there. But then he says, it will get you but there. But it was. And, and here's a, a person who has. Now, now here's the thing. Yeah, and then here's <laughs> a person who has. So he's pissed off at me because I don't have talent. And then, but says that I do have a ba- ambition and experience, but that's not enough yet. Sometimes it is the movie wouldn't have gotten finished if it wasn't for the ambition and the experience. And the movie certainly wouldn't have made its way to di- distribution if it wasn't for those. So I don't really think that John Peters is a talented filmmaker either. I mean, I don't like a lot of the stuff that he does. I, you know, I chuckle at it on occasion, but why are you fucking mad at somebody that either way, like I'm not mad at John Peters, even though I don't think he's not very talented. Good for him for carving out a career. I don't run out and because watch his one movies. Of the miserable people right there. He's got a, he's, he's got a yeah. miserable people. All right. What's the last sentence? Oh, and you have, and, and you have to know what you're doing too. Oh, I have to know what I'm doing. All right. Then go on. Uh, but part of the book is not knowing what to do. That, like yeah. that's the whole point of the book. Is... And I'm trying to help other people learn <laughs> not to do what I did. Yeah. Which, Oh, by the way, my greasy things that I did to make friends with Kevin Smith, they did work. But the point of the book is like, don't do what I did or do what I did. This is what I did. So you can figure out how to do it better. That's right. It's, it, it's history books, basically what it is. Yeah. Here's what not to do. Here's some things to do, but uh, there is an edit now. Uh, I've seen the film. Yep. It's not very good at all. All right. You didn't like it. That's right. Which is normal for films. The five day shooting schedule, the unnecessary requirement to be best buddies with your cast rather than finding people who will make your film better and add more exposure. Now I, and this is in the book, I did say that being friends with your cast is important. And I still preach that to people. A bad apple spoils the whole bunch. And this guy's never been on a, on a set or part of a crew. And that is no more, more so misery loves company. Yes. You get 
Especially on a small set. On a small set. You get someone on set who may be the greatest fucking actor in the world. Dennis Quaid video was just recently released of him, you know, going off on a rant. They can spoil everybody and make everybody fucking miserable. There's an article I was reading about, um, uh, not James, uh, Cameron Crowe on Gladiator and how he was, they wanted to get rid of him. There's points in that movie like we want to get rid of him. Oh, not Cameron Crowe. Not yet. um, Uh, You're... Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. There we go. Yeah, Russell Crowe. Okay. Um, they, 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 he's like he's he's an asshole. We want him off, but couldn't do it. Well, I no. thought it was an interesting article. Well, yeah, one Apple can spoil everything because now, well, if he doesn't like it, then I'm not going to like it. Right. Is there something I don't know? But that's a mo- that's a movie you can throw money at. No. It, yeah. And they succeeded at throwing money at, and they even had the main character die and had to recreate him. In indie film, you need to be friends with everybody because. At the end of the day, if someone's super talented and a dick and you need them to stay for another hour, they ain't going to stay. Yep. So you're not going to get that talented performance. This is no. not going to happen. And, and we had, if you read the book, we had some issues here and there. Like, I can't even remember what they were, but I remember like we, everything was always good. It was, it was like your buddy, like having to go pick somebody up or rearranging the schedule for a little bit for, mm-hmm. for something, you know, five, ten minutes longer. Or, yeah, you or, need favors. Absolutely. So, but we never, we were never like... Oh, we have this amazingly talented, you know, Ben Affleck wants to be Drew, but he's an asshole. We don't want to use him. Russell Crowe wants to be Zach, but he's an asshole. We don't want to use him. We never had that opportunity, (laughs) but we just chose people we thought were good actors that were really cool. Anyway, realizing... Uh, Realizing there were some issues along the storyboard stage, initially dismissing reaction from general audience and just listening to the yes men. That is in the form of... In the form of family, friends, I'm sorry, yeah, families, friends, and cast and crew. Um, that is so not true. And the book details that over and over. Anytime someone was like, why is she eating the pizza? My questions started to revolve around. I don't know. Are you, does that bother you that she doesn't eat the pizza? What do you think about the pizza? Talk to me about the pizza. I want why to know you what focus you're on the pizza? Yeah. Why are you focusing on the pizza? Can I change something to make this better? We fucking focus group the, the movie more than once and mm. went back and read all of that and then included that shit in the book like what people said about it. So, and why we weren't able to go back and reshoot and all that kind of stuff. Also, the idea that I listen to yes, man, actually I focused more on the no people. If someone told me yes, or was like kissing my ass, I dismissed them immediately. And I was like, let's focus on the negative person here. Let's try and extract the misery and see what they say to try and make it better. Anyway, go on. Uh, let's see the eye rolling and embarrassing sucking up to Kevin Smith, mm. not making contractual agreements ahead of time and getting screwed over financially because of it. Yeah, that was a snowball that happened with the the score. Uh, the egotistical in, uh, instance, insistence, of, insistence. Sorry, of getting his name on the title despite of having be his first film. Yeah, it was I'm, my. It was also my last you, film. You fucking asshole. So people my, really seem to have an issue with you getting your I, name. On I it. know, isn't it crazy? Like, don't you <laughs> like want your matters? fucking name on your stuff? Yeah, like it matters at all to them. How does it bother you? But don't like you made something. <laughs> don't you want your name on it? I'm seventy grand in the hole over this fucking thing. Like, is it that big of a deal that I put my name on it? Right. All right, go on, man. I can go over. I can go on and on. There were too many. Those are uh, bold. Yeah, or capitalized. Too many in bolder. Um, wrong things that lead to the film's ultimate downfall. Not to mention reading, reading him spend. Not to mention reading him spend so much cash on, or so many things. It started to make my head spin, and how fast it was spiraling down into debt. Yeah, that was the point of the book again. <laughs> That's right. That's, uh, uh, no doubt the movie has made money in the end. 
It would have made a lot more if the initial distribution deal between National Lampoon, Warner, and this now-defunct company, Polychrome, which was apparently filled with the slimiest, disgusting group of irresponsible, desperate for cash, and had no idea what they were doing. Which I don't know. But the real question is, if it, the initial Lampoon deal would have gone through, would Vincent gotten another shot at making a, a film? Would he have had his, the career that, that he was dreaming of since he typed up the first words of the Kisses and Karam script? Then the next sentence says, my guess is no. My guess is no. But that's not true because uh, there is a whole slew of Lampoon directors who made shitty fucking movies and went on to make two or three more shitty movies. So had the Lampoon deal gone through, would I have Chris Nolan's career? I don't know. But I know I would have been a- had the opportunity to make two or three more movies. Would they have been shitty? We would have had to have seen. But clearly... Uh, history dictates that a shitty Lampoon movie leads to you directing more movies. Oh, well, yeah. That's just Lampoon. Just that name. All right. Uh, and by the way, I'm on page two of his rant. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many how many paragraphs. One, right. two, three, four, five, six, seventh paragraph. Seventh yeah. paragraph, yeah. All right. So uh, my guess is no. He'd have a lot of cash, but no chance at a career. Now, uh, even if I had a lot of cash, I probably would have then made another movie on my own, too. So I would have had a career. Anyway, go on. It's all in the film. Had he made something that was unique to a unique stamp on it to be endless witness of Kevin Smith of, or directing chops of Todd Phillips, he would have rebounded by now or at least kept trying. Instead, according to IMDb, he's only working as any producer since or since sorry, uh, the latest effort called Making Waste, a documentary about a filmmaker who dived into poverty to make the film he was dreaming of. And I guess he never went anywhere. The thing is, he would have rebounded by now. I, I think I just carved out a different career path. I mean, I work in television. I, I, I still I make videos that have an audience and make money on YouTube. That's like saying Emilio Estevez isn't any good anymore because he's not on screen. Uh, yeah, that's right. He he spends most of his time behind the, uh, the yeah. lens now. Yeah. So or Ron sucked. Howard, right? Yeah. They Ron sucked. Howard, he sucked as an actor. So yeah, uh, they can't do anything. So he's right that my last IMDb, actually my last IMDb credit is editing Hell's Kitchen, but my last IMDb movie is Making Waste. Um, but yeah, anyway. mine, mine will be Workaholics. Oh, that's where your <laughs> last credit is, yeah. Uh, all right, anyway, a documentary about a filmmaker who dived into poverty as he, the film he dreamed of. All right, next paragraph. Kisses and Karam should have been a test film or a short film he pondered about being during development. It was a test film. Moving on. It was. And, and short film says, if you, I'm sure it was in the book. I don't Short film, no one would have read it. Exactly. Or no one no would have seen it. Because who cares? This guy wouldn't be reviewing it. He wouldn't know it exists. Right. All the listeners out there, when was the last time you watched a short film? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's first film, My Best Friend's Birthday, was pretty bad. Or what remains of it. Even Tarantino derides it as nothing but guitar picks. Wasted celluloid that only served as his first film. But then he went on to write three scripts, one of which he directed a couple of years later and made movie history. Thing is, Reservoir Dogs wasn't just a lucky hit. The reason that the film was such a big hit as an all-star cast was because Harvey Keitel and other talented loved the script. Tarantino has the gift of interesting gab. <clears throat> he was set to blow more money on another film because uh, he had the drive, passion, and talent to make it so. Kevin Smith also made a hit because he, too, was an exceptional writer who worked with big leads who played their parts right. Robert Rodriguez made it big not only because he merely made a film for $7,000, uh, 
He made it because he was a good watchable. Or he made a good watchable film for seven thousand dollars. Making it cheap was what got him picked up fast. Not to mention the cast, the people who fit the part, like Peter Marquat. Is that I don't. I don't know. Mark Watts. As Moko. Uh, caused him to look like, or because he looked like Christopher Walken and mean. They happened to be friends in the process, but it wasn't the driving reason for his casting. So they became friends. He names uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino and Kevin. Uh, again, they all tried. I, I don't know. Maybe because his and Karim's would have been epic. I, I mean, all of these, he's Tarantino's first film sucks as he says there. So maybe kisses and Karim sucks. And maybe I should now go on to make something else because of it. Okay. But yeah, let's, makes, let's say like, he also talks about Tarantino putting big names in there. So let's say we had Ben Affleck as the lead. You mean like, like the great script Geely attracted him? Exactly. Right. Or that beautiful script, uh, glitter that attracted Mariah Carey. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. But if you if you, if he would have been there, would this have been a great movie? Most people probably oh that's such an awesome movie Ben Affleck. Ben oh, Affleck. absolutely! If we made the exact same movie with Ben Affleck, uh, you would be things would be completely different. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, what are we eighth? Or ninth, yeah, we're almost on the bottom. Paragraph. Of the par- yeah, but if There's you only like uh, one, two, three, four, five more <laughs> paragraphs ago. But if you don't play your cards right, can't write as good as the majors, then yes, it's a fairy tale, a pipe dream. You're going to have a hard time. Uh, to get people to watch your stuff because no one will want to watch it. No one will want to invest in it and instead give you the runaround. And if you do somehow get it out there and have people watch it, be it the fur though, the sh- be it shady- through the shadiest of businesses. businesses, no one will want to watch anything with your name on it ever again. I beg to differ. I have 8,000 subscribers on YouTube that I specifically to the channel, Vince Roca and <laughs> watch it with my name on it all the time. And, yeah, and, and, and G Lee and, Right, that people still watch his stuff. People still watch their stuff. They they still go on. Yeah. Right, there's a lot of bad films out there, and people are like, oh yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, even though he finally got on the shelves in Walmart, Vincent was feeling hesitant about it being there instead of relieved, worried he wasn't going to, to or worried he was going to disappoint the person who will see it rather than be proud that someone out sorry there was going to see it and like it. The extreme lack of confidence just told me he accepted or knew he's putting out a subpar product on the market. And with that was the end of the story for me. It's not a lack of confidence. It was just being realistic. Like I had gotten it distributed. Uh, it, I find this so weird. Um, finally got on the shelves of Walmart. I was feeling hesitant about it being there. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I just, I just pulled my underwear down and showed everybody my dick. And now what if they don't like it? Worried he was going to disappoint the person who will see it rather than be proud that someone out there, uh, will like it. I'm very proud of the movie, but when it's sitting on the shelf, my little $10,000 movie is sitting on the shelf next to movies that had million dollars budgets. I'm kind of feeling a little guilty of like the person who rents it, uh, lack of confidence. I think it was just being realistic of like, you know, it's not memento. It's not clerks. It's, it is what it is. And yeah, every night fucking obviously I was confident to get it there. Um, and that was the end of the story for me. Go that, on. that was the end of the story for you. Dudes like Smith and Tarantino were spending tons of cash making films they knew would put them in financial ruin. That's not true. It wasn't their cash. Well, <laughs> it was uh, in Smith's case. It was a little bit. Uh, well, his first with clerks in, was yes. In but it, and it doesn't really put him. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really put him in financial ruin. But sure, I was taking the same gamble. Uh, but we're very proud of the product in any way. That's, that's not true. That's the main difference between the Christopher Nolans and the wannabes of the world. 
Christopher Nolan's first movie was a piece of shit, too. He remade it, and it became Memento. All right, go on. If there, uh, if there is one really good thing I'll say about the book, it's a, it's a wealth of valuable knowledge of the film process. Fantastic. You got the point. <laughs> so all of these paragraphs to beat me up and shit all over me, and this is the actual point, is it's supposed to be a wealth of knowledge. All right, go on. From the inception of the idea to the DVDs on the shelf, it's a great experience to read on how hard and laborious the process is. Everything you need to be wary of and especially avoid is pretty much here. But even in Hollywood, there are lots of experienced people in his industry, but only a handful of people made it to the top. Why is this so? Why is that so? It is truly an unfair system. Are people trying to avoid watching your cheap-to-make film and borrow you from making the next $100 million blockbuster? I say no. A lot of it is capitalized. A lot of it is luck due to the oversaturation, oversaturation in the market and the ever-changing face of technology. But there's another snippet. Uh, Fede Alvarez uh, yeah. is, set to may, is set to direct the remake of Evil Dead. Who is he and why is he directing and to remake a darling cult classic? Well, he is a similar, or he's a small-time filmmaker from the Uruguay, and he's made a short film that looked like it was pretty much made for millions of dollars, for $300. And that is pretty good. Based on, what he got, based on that he got noticed and picked up, that is how you play the game. I'm kind of confused because so he gets to remake a film that's already been done. So he knows exactly what he's trying to say is this guy showed his talents in the effects and then they gave him a bunch of money to make a bigger movie. I know. But if you're making something like if we have to do clerks again, we can make clerks again because it's already the templates already there. That's the big thing is like I I was not trying to show people that I could make this big budget action flick or the special effects movie with no money. I was trying to make a movie that had jokes in it and kisses and caroms had jokes in it. So now maybe these jokes didn't sit well with him or maybe they didn't sit well with a, a lot of people, but there were still jokes in it. That's what we were trying to do was make a comedy. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's so much harder than taking any film that's out there and redoing it. But, well, they gave whatever he's gone on. He's going to helm the big budget Evil Dead remake because he made this three hundred dollars short film, and they could see that this guy can make these you know big budget movies. Uh, I guess Fast and the Furious Seven came in under budget. It's the Saw director, and the Saw director because of his you know indie film background and the way of making things look simpler is like well instead of doing this it's going to take two weeks and cost 10 million dollars why don't we just shoot the scene over here and we'll get this better effect out of it it's going to cost a lot less that's great that's what those filmmakers are out for i bet that filmmaker and this evil dead filmmaker can't write a fucking joke to save their life (laughs) now this author the person who's written these you know nine paragraphs may feel like i can't write a joke to save my life and that's true but That may be true as far as he's concerned, but that's what I'm trying to do is write jokes. What these guys are trying to do is make bigger budget action movies. Um, So that they're already cookie cutter. It's a silly comparison. I mean, Kisses and Caroms is is the jokes that we could make just as well as I guess these little films are are this little film for three hundred dollars showed this guy's talent. And maybe I don't have talent. I don't know. Subjective. Um. High quality watchable. I don't know. Read the last paragraph. Well, you don't want to see the, you show the uh, fat cats. I don't you know. You can make an Where impressibility, a high quality looking watchable commercial product for dirt cheap. 
then they'll come running and take care of you. Though you should watch your back. Yeah, that's actually not true. There are plenty of people on YouTube who make high-quality, cheap products that are amazing-looking, and Hollywood does not come running to them with checks. No. If you make anything... Yeah, if you make anything less, prepare to struggle. And if you can truly love, if you truly love what you're doing, willing to kill yourself to improve your craft and network your butt off, you might earn a decent living like many of the American Pie direct-to-video directors, producers, and writers of the world. So this guy contradicts himself several times. He kind of got what the book was after, but overall, he he seems to really try to just bash me, just to try and take me down. That's his creativity. That's what he's. That's what he's after, even though he under, seemed to understand the purpose of the book and has a somewhat grasp of the film industry. It's still, let me take my creativity, my misery, and channel it against, you know, bashing me. So here's a, a little snippet of a review from Kisses and Caroms. Uh, now, the parts that say, Michael, that's obviously you're supposed to read. Um, but read that entire first line. Uh, when you look at the credits in the movie? No, no, no. Author. Author. Janice 33 from Denmark. From Denmark. Kisses and Caroms has not fucking been released in Denmark. So I've got a review from a fucker who took this movie for free from Pirate Bay. That's what this is. This motherfucker didn't pay a penny to see this movie. Not a fucking cent. He's from Denmark. All right. Read his, read his paragraph. When you look at the credits in the movie, it was produced with the help of the entire members of the Roca family. I think they should go back and just film the Roca family reunions. Fuck you. Like, come on. You didn't even pay to see my movie and you're going to fucking go on the internet to cut me down. Now here's the, it could be fun though. I mean, if that's what this guy wants, maybe he wants to see more of the Roca family. Is that what he's saying? Maybe his English isn't so good. (laughs) And he's saying, I love this this so much. This is great. Yes. I love it so much. I want to watch. The Roca family reunions. Now, and here's the thing: he's sort of right. Like what I, what my film career has become is recording the Roca family vacations, Deanna and my vacations that I then put on YouTube that he watches for free, but I make money on when he watches it because he's a fucking commercial. So he's really right. He figured out I, sh- I should have jumped on in this a long time ago because you're just naturally funny my money is made by my career is recording the roca family reunions <laughs> uh so this is uh reviews of life doesn't suck the the roca family reunions the videos i do on youtube um so the latest slew of life doesn't suck videos available on my youtube channel um had a guy ask this question so you're gonna play uh Yaquin hagar Yaquin Hagar, whatever his name is. Um, so you go. What's going on here? Why is there a laugh track? I added a laugh track to my videos. Um, we do a web show called Life Doesn't Suck, and I, I added a laugh track out of shits and giggles. Your response? I guess. I just don't get it. Um, what I'm thinking when I read that is, I guess you don't get it, but I don't post that. Uh, I, I just kind of think, all right, you know, some people are going to get it, some aren't. So then 24 hours later... This guy responds, go for it. I just got to say, bro, I look, looked into you and kisses and caroms. Dude, act natural on your cam, uh, on camera. Don't act like you're acting. That especially goes for your girl. She, she's impossible to watch. This, that fucking, yeah, D-I-S, this, that fucking laugh track. It's an insult to your audience, however small it may be. And sit upright, homie. 
You look like a lazy, out-of-shape chub cake sitting on the couch. Respect yourself, man. Sit upright. Show some proper posture like a dan- like, like you give a damn. So, so the dude says, this is fucking YouTube, and their comments are so vile. Why is there a laugh track? Hey, we do this web series. Um, I guess I don't get it. Then 24 hours later... He spent time. He, I don't know if he watched Kisses and Caroms, probably downloaded it from Pyro. I don't know. Um, act natural on camera. Don't act like you're acting. Okay. Duh. That especially goes for your girl. She's impossible to watch. Gee, thanks. This is this creative, this <laughs> creativity spewing. This? No, Deanna's crying right now. This creativity you, spewing, spewing from this guy is fantastic. I mean, I what I'm going to do with with this help, this cre- creative criticism is just going to help me so much. Dis that fucking laugh track. So. I hey, I tried it. I think it's kind of funny, but you know now I, I worked for the seventies. Aaron Spelling made a career off laugh tracks. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm supposed to go back and take this off. Uh, it's an insult to your audience, however small it may be. Maybe my audience gets it. Maybe they don't. He's right about this. I should sit upright. All right, when I watch those interviews, I am slouched over. I look like a lazy, out of shape chub. Uh, cake sitting on the couch. Yeah, that's true. I got, you got that. Respect yourself, man. Sit upright. However, uh, show some proper posture like you give a damn. So I should I should pretend like I give a damn. I think, you know. I like which means he has to watch the whole thing. Yeah, he watched it. He watched it. So I'm sure he had all the best intentions and surely this made me feel great. Uh, I I clicked on his Google Circle profile and saw that he worked at Red Lobster. That was what it said. I was just like, let me check into this. So no longer has a job. He he did have a job at Red Lobster. This is who's criticizing me. And this is like, like maybe I should actually entertain this response. The rest of these guys, like I get criticized all the time and I don't fucking respond to them. And I didn't respond anything further to this guy. I guess I, we've dedicated an entire podcast where I've responded to him (laughs) and I've, I've gotten to say something that way, but that's really where it ends right there. He worked at Red Lobster. Like, I don't need to say any more. He's not even currently working, like, apparently. He no, he wasn't at- even working at Red Lobster. He worked. <laughs> that's what he, that's his claim to fame. He worked at Red Lobster. I've written two books, made a feature film. I work as an editor in television. I've got 8,000 subscribers at YouTube. Um, you know, I, I, have a, I make a living in entertainment and my critic, critic worked at Red Lobster. Yeah. So I don't, I don't need to respond. I was like, that's, that's enough. That, that makes me happy. That's I hope misery. he's a listener. I hope he is a listener. Actually, you should post this. You should put the, uh, the I web should link respond to and just yeah, be this, like, here's a web link. You have to stick it out for like two hours, man. But when you get there at the end, we talk about you. And, you know. and then he's going to share it with his friends because his name's on the air. Oh, yeah. You were like an hour and 41 minutes. What? So that's, that's 538. The, and uh, yeah, that's, that's Oh, yeah. yeah time and temperature. Degrees. Wait a minute. What's the temperature? We it's, it's, it says 83. Oh, you're looking out the window. You can see it. I can't see it. So with oh you're the, so you should be designated the time and temperature <laughs> from your seat. I don't even wear my glasses and I can see that. So what is it? It is uh, eighty three degrees. I can't see the points at five thirty eight. At five thirty eight and thirty seven seconds. I'm Vince Roca. I'm Michael Hutchinson. For more on the show, visit getconvinced.com.